Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. As you're turning into your Bibles, I want to let you know that today's message is going to be a little bit different than usual. It's going to be a team teach. I'm going to go ahead and get us started with verses 36 to 43, and then Pastor Rafe will close out our message with verses 44 to 49. So let's go ahead and look at our first set of verses, starting at verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he had said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There were two friends touring an art museum, and it came upon a painting by Moritz Ritchie in the 19th century titled The Chess Players. You know, on one side, you have Satan who is arrogantly smiling because he thinks that he has won. And then on the other side, you have a man who looks distraught because he believed that the game has been lost for him and his soul is going to be lost to the devil. And it's during this tour, one of these men was a great chess master by the name of Paul Morphy. And he was fascinated by this painting. So as his friend moved on to other paintings in the museum, this chess master continued to study this painting. And as he studies this painting, he begins to shout to his friend, Come here! You have to see this! You have to see this! The friend gets there, and the chess master says, This painting is wrong. The devil hasn't won. There is still one more move. There's one more move. This man can win. He can win. On Good Friday, it seemed like the cross left us a defeated and dead Jesus. Satan had a smug look on his face as he saw the discouragement of, his, of Christ's disciples, and he thought uh, he had a checkmate. This morning, our king still had one more move to make because three days later, he rose again. He turned darkness into light. He turned death into everlasting life with him. He turned sorrow into hope. It's today on Easter Sunday, our King Jesus conquers the grave. You can go ahead and say amen at home. In our verses today, the disciples are discouraged. They're defeated because they felt that all was lost. Their master has just been executed. He has been humiliated. He's been mutilated. Someone they believed that was going to bring them victory and bring victory to all the Jewish people, someone who was going to bring the Roman government to their knees, has instead become a big disappointment. Verse 36 says this, as they were talking about these things. Now, what are these things that they were talking about? So what's happened is that the disciples have gotten word that the grave is empty. Earlier in Luke chapter 24, the woman who visited the tomb told the disciples that with their very own eyes, they saw that the tomb was empty at sunrise. And there was an angel there to affirm that and proclaim it. But the disciples still didn't believe it. It says in Luke chapter 24, verses 10 to 11, 
Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them, who told these things to the apostles, but these words seemed to them to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Now after this happens, Jesus appears to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he has a Bible study with them. And these disciples are so convicted and so moved that they run right back to Jerusalem. They tell the 11 disciples, Jesus is alive. Luke chapter 24, verses 33 and 34, right before our verses here. It says, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. So in verse 36, when it says the disciples were talking about these things, they were talking about the resurrection. Is it really possible that the grave is empty? Is it really possible that Jesus is risen from the dead? They could not get themselves to believe this. So here they are in verse 36, wrestling with all this, and then Jesus stands among them. Check out their response, verse 36 to 38. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? So they've heard Jesus has resurrected from reliable sources, people that they trust, and now they see with their very own eyes the resurrected Jesus, and they still doubt. Jesus says, why do doubts arise in your hearts? It's not praise rising from their hearts. It's not worship, but it's disbelief. What's going on here? What made it so hard for them to believe? It was the grief and sorrow of Good Friday, that since Friday on the cross, their life has been buried in loss, pain, and defeat, and they expected it to stay that way because dead things stay dead. Their grief and their pain blinded them to God's promise. It blinded them to the very prophetic words of Jesus when he told them that he would die and rise again in three days. But the cross did not give them any hope. Instead, it made them so desperate. The struggle in their hearts is one that we all share, especially during this time of the COVID-19 crisis, that we've been thrust into a situation that is confusing, unnerving, and scary, that many have or will lose jobs, lose or exhaust their savings, experience depression, get sick with COVID-19, and some will even die. No, thousands have died, which means hundreds of thousands are currently mourning. It's in these moments, just like the disciples, instead of feeling hope, we feel desperate. We feel vulnerable. COVID-19 has taught all of us that we don't control our lives, that even the smartest and brightest minds in the world today can't get their arms around it. Medical experts are struggling to create remedies. The world mathematicians are unable to calculate the best way to forecast the spread. World industries can't keep up with supply with life-saving equipment. The world markets and economies are free-falling. Frankly, the whole world seems out of control, and this has put doubt and fear in our hearts, frustration and anger. Is that your heart this morning? 
Are you more desperate than hopeful? Here's the good news of Easter Sunday. Jesus is present in our struggles, and he will overcome it. You know, when the disciples couldn't get themselves to believe that Jesus was greater than their disappointment, what does Jesus do? He shows up. In the same way, Jesus meets us in our suffering, in our grief, in our loss, in our trauma, and he is there to give grace. For example, when you think that Jesus appearing them, appearing before them would be enough, it isn't. They're terrified. They say that it's a spirit. It's easier for them right now to believe that Jesus was a ghost than to believe that he was stronger than death. And it's in this doubt, and frankly speaking, a very insulting kind of disbelief, Jesus still continues to pursue and give grace. Verse 39 and 40. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Why does Jesus show them his hands and feet? It's because this is where they can see the nail scars. That it's in Christ's crucifixion, when life seemed most out of control, when it seemed most hopeless, when it seemed like the bad guys had won, that for the disciples, up until three days ago, they thought that they were going to rule with King Jesus, that my life is going to be so great, Jesus is going to the top, and I'm going to be one of his key guys. Mom is going to be so proud. But when those nails went through the hands and feet of Jesus, they thought their lives were ruined. They were so wrong. Those nails were not meant to ruin your life. It was those very nails that were going to save your life. When Jesus shows them the scars on his, on his hands, it's to tell, him, tell them that this has always been a part of God's plan. Our hope in the resurrection doesn't mean that we forget all the troubles in our life, all the tragedies of life, all the might-have-beens in our life, all the terrible things in our life, the resurrection doesn't ignore them. It doesn't minimize them. Instead, the resurrection will redeem them. God is working through your scars for your eternal good. The cross, the pain, the disappointment, the fear, it doesn't define you, but instead, the resurrection says, I have overcome them. The burden on your heart, I have overcome. The guilt and shame, Jesus has overcome. The fear of the future, Jesus has overcome. The fear of physical death, Jesus has overcome. The resurrected Jesus was not some spirit floating around, but it was a physical body. You could see him and touch him. You can talk with him. You can eat with him. It's in his resurrected body. We will see that we will be more alive than ever. And this gives such incredible hope to those who are in physical pain and suffering. Hope for those who worry that COVID-19 might take their life away. Because it's in the resurrection, in the new heavens and the new earth, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the lonely will have companionship, the sick will have vitality. We're going to eat, we're going to drink, we're going to run, we're going to dance, we're going to sing, we're going to hug. There is no reason for despair. Jesus has overcome. The grave is empty. The scars in your life will be a testament to his grace and power. Just like how Jesus and on his resurrected body, forever we will see those nail scars because they will be a permanent reminder 
of just how much God loves us and how far he went to save us. You know, during this time of quarantine, I'm sure that we have watched a lot of movies. And there's usually three kinds of movies. First, there's movies with good endings. And then there's movie, movies with bad endings. And critics usually love these movies because they're so authentic to real life. But I hate these movies because I don't want to spend $15 to be sad. If I wanted to, I could do that for free on my very own. But then there are movies where bad things happen to create a great ending. You know, for example, one of these movies is the movie Signs by M. Night Shyamalan. You know, a lot of bad things happen in this movie. The wife of the main character dies in a car accident. The brother has a failed baseball career. You know, one of the sons has bad asthma. The daughter has an obsessive compulsive issue where she drinks water, and after the first sip, she doesn't want it anymore and leaves glasses of water all throughout the house. The father, who was once a minister, has given up on his faith. The family is a complete mess. And then aliens invade Earth, and then it gets really bad, and it's an absolute disaster. But then suddenly, at the very end, you get excited because you start to see that every bad thing that has happened to the family is actually a part of the family's deliverance. It's because of the glasses of water laying all around the house, they find out that the aliens are hurt by water. The brother swings his baseball bat and breaks these glasses of water, splashing all these aliens. Every bad thing in this family is now redeemed, and it brings the story to a great ending. In the same way, the mess of life, the hardships of COVID-19, the discouragement, it's in the resurrection. It is swallowed up in something beautiful. It is swallowed up with hope. It is swallowed up with victory. When the disciples thought that Jesus was done, when they thought that Good Friday was too much, they were so wrong. Jesus still had one more move to make. Well, thank you, Kenson Lamb. It is Easter Sunday. You know what's amazing? I just want you to think about this for a second. A pandemic can stop a whole lot of things. A pandemic can shut down an NBA season. Pandemic can close down a whole city, but one thing it cannot do, it cannot stop God's people from worshiping and celebrating and just proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Amen? It's Easter Sunday. As Kenshin just showed us in this passage of Luke 24, Jesus has just appeared to his disciples, and it's this critical moment in the history of the church. It's just vital. They needed to have their hearts encouraged. They needed to be reminded of who Jesus was and that all of his promises were true. And the way he does that is he, he, he appears to them in physical form. And what he's doing in that moment is proclaiming the resurrection from the dead. That death does not have the final word. That Jesus has triumphed over the grave. Think about that for a moment. The very thing that has caused the most amount of stress, anxiety, and fear in the history of humanity is death. And on that Sunday morning, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave and appeared in physical form, not just as kind of a, a spirit detached from a physical body, but when he appeared in physical form 
to his disciples, he was making a proclamation that that thing which has caused so much fear in every human being's life throughout all of history has been defeated. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, not only is your eternity secure, but your current circumstances are put into an incredibly new context. Remember, church, we've just been studying Romans chapter 8. That's the passage of Scripture we were, we, were, we were dwelling in right before COVID-19 hit. And do you remember these important words at the end of that chapter? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then he says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or COVID-19? I'm just kidding. But you can imagine, that's, act, that would, that's what he's talking about. And then he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation can possibly separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. No matter what you encounter in this life, the resurrection, Easter, declares that your trials do not have the final word, Jesus has the final word. Amen? Now here's what I want to be happening. I want excitement to be dwelling up inside every follower of Christ who's watching this right now. What should be happening is what would be happening if, if we were in a gathering together where we were celebrating. I know I'd be hearing amens from you right now. And I want your neighbors to be checking in on you saying, what's getting into them this morning? That you're excited over the reality that death has been defeated. Now what a fascinating passage this is before us. Jesus appears to them squelches their fears. He appears to them in bodily form. But notice this. He doesn't just, just calm their fears. Yes, he takes a moment. He enters into their moment with them. He, he shows them his body and he says, yes, I'm alive. You don't need to worry. Calm your hearts down. Yes, he does that. And he does that for us right now. We have been talking about that over the last few weeks. But Jesus does not stay there. The resurrection is not simply about having your fears stilled. It's much more than that. The Christian faith must move beyond just realizing that Jesus is with you in the midst of the trial. It always has to then encourage you and embolden you to live bold, victorious lives for Jesus Christ. It moves beyond just knowing that Jesus calms the storm and sends you, but it then moves forward to seeing Jesus actually send you out as a disciple maker with the message of the resurrection. Resurrection news cannot stay put. Listen to what Jesus says in the rest of this passage, verses 44 to 49. Then Jesus says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms might be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. 
Do you see what just happened there? Immediately after confirming to them that Jesus was alive and he let them feel his body and know that he had risen from the grave, he first got to work on their hearts and then he begins to open their minds. You see that in verse 45? Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, what's happening here? Kenson made mention of this already, but Jesus is having a Bible study with his disciples. Oh, man, I wish I could have been in that Bible study. I get to be part of a pretty amazing group of people that meet regularly to study the Word of God. My, I love my Bible study, but I'm telling you what, how I would have loved to sit down with the Master in that room and have Him open up and show me from the whole Old Testament the plan of salvation from the very beginning. I can just imagine him with his disciples. Can't you just picture them sitting in that room? Peter's on one side over here. John's over there. Jesus opens up to Daniel chapter 9 and he says, Look, I told you. I, I, I literally wrote the exact date that I would be coming. And the disciples going, How could we have missed it? It's right there, written 500 years before Jesus came. I can't believe it. And then Jesus pulls back a few other chapters to Daniel chapter 3. He goes, look, remember that moment when, when Daniel's friends were in the fiery furnace? Look, there was a fourth guy in there with them. You know who that was? Peter goes, no. It was you? Jesus goes, you better believe it was me. It was me. I was the one protecting them from that fire. And, and Jesus just goes through the whole Old Testament and starts teaching them all about the foreshadowing and the prophecy and how it all pointed to him. <laughs> That's a Bible study I would have liked to be in. But you know what it does in that moment? He's filling them with courage. He's tying all the pieces of their story together and all the, the pieces of the puzzle from the, from the Bible and he's fitting it together and he's showing how Jesus is the culmination of it all. You know, this is what happens when we study the Bible. If you're a Christian, your life should have a deep place in your heart for studying the Bible in community with each other. Because when you learn these things, when you begin to see how God has knit all of Scripture together, and it all points to the resurrection and the reality of the Holy Spirit coming into your life, things that angels longed to look into long ago that you now live in the reality of, because Jesus has defeated death on your behalf, it fills you with a boldness to live out your faith with courage. And look carefully what the text says. After explaining to them what was written about the Christ, he then goes on and he says not only how the Old Testament pointed towards the reality that the Christ would have to suffer, but that the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins would then go forth into the entire world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave was not the end of the story. It didn't end on that first Easter Sunday morning. Rather, from the very beginning of Scripture, there was a much larger narrative. Jesus is the Savior. And then all who would put their faith in Him would become His disciples and would bring the kingdom of God, would bring that message of forgiveness for sin and repentance to every ear that would be open to hearing it. The reality of the resurrection set the disciples up to be free from the fear of persecution. To be fear from, free from the fear of going without. Free from the fear of temporary loss, of sickness, and of danger. So that 
they could be filled with such awe and wonder and courage and excitement and zeal and passion for the reality that Jesus is king and he defeated the grave once and for all so that they would be proclaimers of that to a hurting world. That's what Easter's about. And Jesus, Jesus literally speaks it all right here. He says, I play the main part, Jesus. He resurrected from the grave. He forgives our sins. But every disciple now has a commissioning from Jesus Christ to shout it with the loudest voice they can possibly muster. Now here's the thing. Easter Sunday is great news for some. It's great news for some. What do I mean by that? Well, the meaning of Easter Sunday is that there is one king. There is one king who rules over everything. And it's not you and it's not me. You see, if our life is still utterly defined by desiring to be our own ultimate authority, then Easter Sunday is not good news. You see, if our life, if your life is ultimately defined by saying, this is what I want my life to be about, this is how I want to live my life, this is how I want to determine the, the way that I care for people and the way that I don't care for people, if your life is ultimately about being your own king, then Easter Sunday is not good news for you. If your life is ultimately about looking at the one true King, Jesus Christ, and saying, man, I love what He said over here. I didn't quite like what He said over there, so I'm going to listen to that and not listen to that. Then ultimately what you're saying is, I really don't care about the King in all of His Word. I want to be my own King. I want to choose what I'm going to follow. I want to choose how I'm going to live my life and choose what to believe. And really it's up to me. If you are choosing to be your own ultimately ultimate authority, then Easter Sunday is not good news. Why not? Well, because the message that the disciples were commissioned to give was this, repentance for the forgiveness of sin. That's Jesus' words, that repentance for the forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed to every nation. What that means is if there's no repentance in your life, then there is no forgiveness of sin. If there is no turning from choosing to be your own king and to disregarding the reality of the one true king who, whether you believe it or not, is ruling and reigning right now, if there is no regard for his authority over your life and you choose not to repent and turn from your own sin, then there is no forgiveness to be had before that holy God. God offers you forgiveness for trying to be your own king. He offers you healing and, and, and healing for your heart, for all the things that cause brokenness in your life. He offers you newness and the fullness of life everlasting. But it is only available to those who repent of their own sin and trust in the resurrected King. Church, I'm convinced, utterly convinced, that there are many in our own city today and in the coming weeks and months ahead of us that need to hear the reality of the good news of Resurrection Sunday. I'm convinced of it because people are calling me and asking me literally over the last few weeks to hear the good news. See, this is what happens. When you're strong, when, you, when things are going right in your life and you feel healthy, you feel strong, you feel confident, sometimes what that can do is it can put a false arrogance inside of you that makes you think you can defeat death on your own, that makes you think that you're strong enough to go through this life without the one true king. 
And all that is is pure arrogance and pride to think that you can be your own master and can overcome in this life. It's, 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 it's the epitome of spiritual pride. But when you're put in a circumstance where you suddenly realize that you don't have the strength to overcome every trial that will come in your life, historically, people's hearts tend to get very soft to the deeper things of life, to the truer things of life, the meaning of life, why we're here, how did we get here, who is God, and and what's my relationship with Him? And we're in a season right now where people's hearts are being softened, church, All across the city, I'm convinced of it. There are hurting, hungry people for the truth of spirituality. And the truth is that Jesus Christ is King. He's defeated death once and for all. And He's got a message for every hurting person in this city. And you, disciple, are the one who has the message. Amen? You are the one who is now carrying the message that the disciples first had when they left that room. And you are the one that can go and bring hope and healing and reality into hurting people's lives. And he says, don't you move a muscle. Jesus' last words here. This is very important. He says, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. He says, don't move until I send the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit comes into your life when you believe in Jesus Christ and it fills you. And all the doubts you used to have, the Holy Spirit begins to calm them. And then He literally builds you out a confidence in Jesus Christ and He makes you into a disciple maker. He makes you into someone who's excited to tell others about Jesus, who who frankly just tells others about Jesus by the way you live your life, but then also proclaiming the message with your mouth. He says, you wait for that Holy Spirit because when it comes, it's going to just flow through you. Church, hear the marching orders of Easter Sunday 2020. Your life has been ransomed from death. Jesus Christ died on a cross so you could have relationship with God and have your sins forgiven. Now, if you believe that, then you have an entire new life. Not defined by your success, not defined by your status, not defined by the way you look, not defined by what you achieve, not defined by what others say about you or don't say about you, not defined by who you marry or if you marry or what you have to offer, not defined by the amount of courage you have or the amount of failures you make, not defined by the amount of skills you have. Not defined by what you know or don't know. Not defined by how many letters you have and the degrees you have after your last name. Not defined by the amount of money you have. Not by the, defined by the amount of mistakes you've made in the past. And not defined by the failures you'll make de- tomorrow. Defined by one thing. Jesus Christ is King. He's forgiven your sin. And He's given you new life and defeated death once and for all. Amen? That's Easter Sunday. Easter 2020, may this be the day you never look back. To those who are hurting this morning, who are watching this, to those who in the past perhaps have thought that Christians were foolish for believing in a dead man coming back to life, as if that had any relevance on your life, I proclaim to you it has every relevance for your life. For without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, we are all utterly helpless. But if He's defeated death, then He offers you new life And everything he taught about who he was and what he came to do is true. Today is the day of salvation. 
Don't let another day pass without choosing to believe. You don't have to have every detail figured out. You just have to have enough faith to say, I repent from the way I've been living my life. I don't know everything, but I know Jesus is good. I know he's true, and I choose to make him king of my life. And if you do that this morning, if you'll pray even that silent prayer, God says he forms new life in you, life everlasting. And to the church, to every Christian, I proclaim to you the simple truth this morning. Death has been defeated. Your sin is not counted against you because of Jesus Christ's blood shed on the cross, His resurrection from the grave. Your future is certain. Jesus is King. He is risen indeed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We worship You. Thank You for sending Jesus God, fill us with a courage and an excitement about the gospel this morning. May the hope of Jesus resurrected from the grave flow out of the walls of the church and into the city, into the streets of the city, into the hospitals of the city, into every hurting person's ears this Easter Sunday because they need the resurrection. God, I pray this in the powerful, holy, and perfect name of Jesus Christ. Amen.